did. Oh, hell yeah. She's a bad man, I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. If I wasn't a Christian man, I'd probably be kicking in your way. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. I'm calling an audible. My guest who had been scheduled for two weeks canceled. Instead of crying like a two-year-old and was not able to connect with an alternate guest, the show must go on. And I will continue with the second ever best of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Our summers are so short in Minnesota, it can be easy to forget about important safety measures. And when extreme heat is involved, safety is even more critical. Here are a few things to remember to keep you and your loved ones, including your pets, safe and comfortable. One, remember to not leave your pets and kids in your vehicle. Two, always stay hydrated in hot weather. Three, avoid exercise during the hottest times of the day. Four, stay in air conditioning as much as possible. Five, when traveling, stay sky aware. Check the forecast and prepare for unsafe driving conditions, thunderstorms, and tornadoes. High temperatures kill hundreds of people every year, but most heat-related deaths and illnesses are preventable. If we all slow down, take some time, check on our loved ones, and enjoy the beautiful season. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. I hope you're never injured in a collision, but if you are, don't sign anything until you've talked to us. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Bradshaw and Bryant. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. As stated at the opening, this will be a best of, as my guest canceled. Unfortunately, they let me down again. They let me down once before in life earlier, and now once again. Well, as my mother said, forgive, but never forget. And they will not get an invite for me to come back to the show if they call and schedule it themselves, then I may have them on. Well, the show must go on. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. As I stated, um, today's guest is a friend. She's also a mother. She's a wife. Uh, I know she's a great mother. I need to talk to Mark and see how good of a... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) And uh, she's a trailblazer. She's a uh, pioneer in some in a lot of ways, and uh, very respected in her line of business. Her name is Michelle Tafoya. To all my friends, yes, I know people like Michelle Tafoya, and uh, Michelle, welcome to the show. <laughs> 
And I get to say I know people like JB, but that was quite an introduction, and <laughs> I think um, I, you oversold me a little bit, but I appreciate it. Nah, there's no overselling here. Michelle and I actually worked together at KQRS, so, and Michelle and I have a connection. Her husband's father, Bruce Vandersall, allowed me when I was an 18-year-old punk from the streets <laughs> of St. Louis when I first came to the University of Minnesota to sit in defensive staff meetings and learn how to be a coach. So I am always grateful to Bruce. Well, we miss Bruce a lot. That is for sure. He's one of the all-time greats. I'm so lucky to have had him as a father-in-law. I'm so grateful he was a grandfather to my children while he was around, and he's definitely gone too soon. Yes. Um, but, you know, uh, but you and I are really lucky to have had him in our lives, so I'm grateful for that. Yeah, he, he looked at me and said, you can sit here, you can listen, um, you may even ask questions, but whatever we discuss in this room stays in this room. I was like, <laughs> sure, because why would I be an idiot to run and tell players what the coaches are saying and destroy the relationship I have with the coaches and this opportunity I have to actually learn something? So, I hope you learned something. I learned a lot on how to, you know, my uh, 20 years of youth and a couple of years of high school coaching all you know started in that room that day so Aww. um so as i said um michelle and i work together but what and this is the question i ask all my guests what is your origin story because i like to hear people say it say it in their own words what is your origin story well i i'll try to boil it down for people so i don't you know turn people away um <laughs> no I'm the youngest of four kids, um, and uh, there's a lot of detail about my family life that I will leave off because it's just, it'll just take too long. But suffice to say, we were a family that was very interested in sports, um, in particular my dad, and that's how he raised us, not only to play but to be fans of the game. And uh, he turned me into a San Francisco 49ers fan before it was – cool to be a san francisco i'm talking a long time ago here yes i'm talking you know just before joe montana and bill walsh got there and then we were rewarded for all our suffering when bill walsh showed up and then they drafted joe montana so that was the beginning of my love affair with the nfl and uh it, i just carried it stayed with me always i've just always loved football just to me it's like the perfect game i know it's a dangerous game but it's um it's amazing so um you know i went through college and uh went to california berkeley where i would go across the bay and go to niners games whenever i could and then um got out of college and didn't really know what to do yet i i kept thinking about the media went back to graduate school got my master's in business but while i was there i kept saying to myself you know in my mind i want to be doing something in the media i i you know so with that fallback, I started of, of the business, which I felt was like a, you know, a landing cushion if I ever needed one. I just ventured out and I just put this awful demo tape together, which I'm sure I would just die looking at now. But right. I put a demo tape together and I sent it everywhere I possibly could. 
And the first people to really to hire me with with you know actual a paycheck was out in Charlotte, North Carolina. And so I packed my bags from Southern California, and I moved across the country. And I took the job in radio five hours a day on the radio sports wow. talk. And yeah, it was a it was a long show, <laughs> and uh, but it helped me a lot. Learn how to improvise. Learn how to you know study. I just I I really just engrossed myself in everything i would read everything i possibly could and i was learning and learning every day and um then k-fan in minneapolis got in touch with me uh, after we broke a story in north carolina and they flew me out here to tour around and asked me if i might be interested in moving here and you can imagine a girl from manhattan beach california mm-hmm. who uh, was you know it's like well you know what i'll go and i'll live there for one year yeah and then i'll move on to the next place so i came and i was working for k-fan and then i got hired by wcco tv mm-hmm. uh and the next thing i knew i saw my first spring in minnesota which kind of is like marrying what we're seeing right now right as you and i talk and i fell in love with the place yes and I just, I couldn't even believe it happened. I really couldn't, but I had never experienced change of seasons before. So, and then, you know, speaking of Bruce Vandersall, I met his son, Mark Vandersall, and then that kind of sealed the deal. So um, we've decided to stay here, raise our family here, but I continued to work at CCO. Then I got hired by CBS Sports, um, spent five years there, then moved over to ESPN, spent I want to say seven year, years there. I'm kind of losing track. And then I, I wound up um, doing some stuff for ABC Sports during the NBA mm-hmm. with Al Michaels. Yes. And Al said to his producer on Monday Night Football, hey, I really think you ought to talk to this Michelle person. And they hired me on Monday Night Football. And it was like a, it was like the, mo- that was the turning point in my career, really. Um, I mean, the major one, like just, now it's on a different level you know monday night football is this iconic show and uh it was crazy and so then you know i spent five six seven years there i think two three i I think it was seven and then you know my whole crew al and john madden and everyone on our crew moved over to nbc on sunday night football right and i did not i was asked to stay at espn and i was under contract and i really didn't have a choice but um, about five years into that, they um, they they came and stole me away. NBC stole me away, and I've been at, been there ever since. And just been really fortunate to, you know, when people say time and place, and you know, there's a lot of luck. That is definitely true. But I want to remind people that luck is where hard work and preparation and opportunity meet Mm -hmm. so you know and the harder you work the more lucky you get so for you know for anyone who thinks that this was just a uh a cakewalk into sunday night football believe me believe me believe me i worked my tail off every single day of my life to arrive at that place well um before i ask my next question i want people to understand something the last name tafoya or the name tafoya means in italian means ferocious warrior or strong man so oh wow so, i'm with ferocious warrior right so no doubt that's why you didn't give up and that's why you fought fought and fought to get to where you're at right now 
And um, it's interesting because actually, JB, mm-hmm. uh, we are not Italian. We are Spanish. And I, there's a lot of strong connection between Italy yes. and Spain, obviously, and a right. lot of history there. But, uh, yeah, I, I like to think of myself as a survivor. And it, I'm telling people it takes – you have to develop a thick skin in this business. <laughs> and it is not easy. Yeah, and I, I can imagine that. Okay, the one question I had from your origin story is, what sports did you play? <laughs> <laughs> let's let's clear something up, JB. Um, mm-hmm. When we say, what sports did I play, mm-hmm. we will say, what sports did I try? Because right. I wasn't, you know, I'm not a great athlete at all. Um, We're but, all better but I, than we think. Well, I grew up playing basketball and a little bit of soccer and a little bit of softball and a little bit of volleyball, which everyone on the West Coast plays. Right. And um, and that was about it for me. My brother was the superstar of the family. He was a big-time basketball star in California. And, um, and, and I really just, it, like I said, I fell in love with football. And I played flag football when I was in grammar school. But, you know, I don't know if that counts. So <laughs> I just always loved football. But as far as being, you know... You see a lot of people, Rebecca Lobo, others on on Doris Burke on television right now, who played their games and played their sports with greatness and for a long, long time. That was not me. That was not me. Okay. I was I was better at talking about it than actually playing it. <laughs> uh, you said one of the sports is softball, and uh, that sport, believe it or not, at the college level has stole my stolen my heart so oh, yeah yeah i believe it i do believe it so um and you and you hit these but i just want to remind people locally K, uh, kfan kqrs wcco in, uh and then nationally nbc abc cbs and espn you are well oiled as some people would say (laughs) (laughs) wow you're the first person who's ever put it that way to me jb (laughs) you're the first one well i appreciate that that was the wonderful michelle tafoya as we continue on here on the jb's low tech the best of the jb's low tech test podcast number two i wonder who's next and you'll find out in seconds here on the best of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called Well, that was Prince, and the song was Let's Go Crazy. And we're uh, going to visit next with Dr. Rick Abelman, psycho- psychologist. So hopefully none of us go crazy, but we all continue to listen to the best of the JB's Low Tech Podcast number two. Uh, it's been a tough year for us all, 
with COVID and social unrest and, and all the anxiety and stress we've dealt with over the year or so. So I thought I'd bring on somebody to talk about that with, uh, with us today and also how it may affect athletes. And today I have Dr. Rick Aberman, a sports psychologist, uh, somebody who's helped me in the past and helped many golfers. And uh, welcome to the show, Rick. Hey, thank you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, it was good to see you on Sunday, even though it was kind of out of the blue. <laughs> you were you were leaving Gopher baseball, and I happened to be leaving Gopher softball, and we ran it to each other. So, well, it was good timing, right? Okay, uh, so uh, with the stuff that us mere mortals have been dealing with this past year, um, what have uh, people in um, the psychology world have seen? Um, I guess, increases in? Yeah, well, um, just about everything that we were seeing increases in before only uh, magnified a whole bunch. (laughs) And so uh, that said, um, you know, things like uh, stress and anxiety and depression, all kinds of mental health issues have been on the rise anyway. Uh, And uh, if you look at a student population, of a, a university age of people, uh, the mental health rates have never been higher pre-pandemic. Uh, and so what's happened uh, during a time of the, uh, the pandemic itself has just amplified all those things. And uh, it's been really stressful. Um, quite honestly, I don't know a lot of people that, or many people at all that have really done all that well this past year it's been a real challenge for everybody yeah you can count me in on that um i uh i have to apologize here for a second rick i didn't uh um i should have started today's show with getting a little background on you for my guests so if you want to give us an or i'm so sorry an origin story on how and what made you uh, get involved in our do what you do mm-hmm. and um maybe where you know where you went to college and uh, sure. and other things to kind of give a little background sure happy to uh well um i'm originally from minneapolis and uh st louis park specifically went to high school there uh and i did my schooling at the university of wisconsin in a rare combination of both uh uh, my bachelor's, master's, and Ph.D. all at uh, Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, and then upon, upon completing my uh, studies there, uh, I went to work for the University of Wisconsin. And I was the uh, psychologist for the, uh, on the sports medicine staff for the university athletic department. And in those days, uh, that was a pretty unheard of thing, in fact, uh, uh, at the time, uh, we, uh, uh, we were the first uh, major college program to have something like that, uh, somebody on staff to deal with the emotional well-being of not just our student-athletes, but the coaches and the administrators uh, uh, included. And so my job was kind of to take care of the mental health of the place. And um, so it was, it was really new territory in those 
in those days. And um, it was, uh, I, I would spend a lot of time early in my career, and actually even up to this day, spending more time talking about what I don't do versus what I do do. Oh. And, and really helping educate people about, right. you know, how we can best be of help. So I spent a lot of time in Wisconsin and uh, at Wisconsin. And then uh, in uh, the early 90s, moved back to uh, Minnesota mm -hmm. and um, got uh, uh, continued my practice here and uh, was uh, was approached by um, the former hockey coach at the University of Minnesota, Doug Woog, yeah. uh, who uh, I got to know a little bit uh, when he'd bring his teams into Madison. And uh, I was always uh, very appreciative of how Doug coached his teams. And when he heard I was moving back to uh, Minneapolis, wanted to know if I'd be willing to work with, uh, with his team. And... Um, so I had some interest in that. I had uh, been working for the uh, you know whole athletic department at Wisconsin, which was a pretty large program. We had I think we had 24 teams at the time, a thousand student athletes, and um, and then there was just me. Right. And uh, uh, so I didn't want to work for the whole department, but uh, Doug convinced me, uh, asked me if I'd be willing to work with his team. Uh, and a friend of his, uh, John Anderson, who was the baseball coach at the time and still is today. Right. So, so um, I said, uh, yeah, we had lunch. I got to know them and uh, decided, yeah, this, this would be a good thing for me to be involved in. And I felt like I could be of help. And today, John and I uh, still continue to work together. Um, gosh, what is that? That's going to be 30 years now. Right. Cool. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> That's scary. So anyway, that was uh, that's how I uh, got back to Minnesota, and I've developed my practice uh, here, and uh, I've worked uh, with most of the pro teams in town over the years, and um, uh, I've uh, been on the medical staff of the Minnesota Twins uh, for a number of years. Uh, I guess I've been with the Twins over 20 years now, and uh, because of COVID and other things, uh, this was my first spring training uh, in 15 consecutive years that I did not attend. Okay. Uh, and so uh, th things are changing, and that's just fine. And right. um, uh, so I still uh, continue uh, to consult with players, et cetera, and uh, but uh, on a variety of teams and um, work with business people as well. So it's the same thing, JV. It's just, uh, it's, uh, you know, people are people. It's just different venues. Right. Well, I just learned something because I always thought your original connection with the university was John. And I, I just learned yeah. it was actually Doug Woog, Coach it Woog, was. the hockey program. So It was. It was. And I didn't know John. And uh, I worked with Doug until he was no longer the coach there and uh, stopped working with hockey at that point. And uh, just uh, was – I've been with some other teams at the U. And I've been with uh, most, you know, baseball the whole time. And uh, uh, for the past so 10 years or so with – uh, tennis, but I've been with a number of teams. Worked right. with Jerry Kill during his tenure. Mm -hmm. uh, that was that was a we had a pretty good run then. So right. Anyway, it's uh, that's what I've been up to. Well, it it was uh, it was timely. I had a 
had a happy hour yesterday uh, with a couple of, of uh, present employees of the athletic department, and I, uh-huh. they asked me who I was going to have on next on the podcast, and I told them you. And one of the guys said, "Well, this will be interesting because I remember when he first started t- talking with Doug." And I oh. kind of looked at him and said, Doug, don't you mean John? He goes, no, Doug. So he was right. <laughs> he started with Doug. Funny. But um, Funny. he brought up an aspect that um, I was planning on uh, touching anyway, but he brought it up. He said, yeah, back then he couldn't believe how people looked at uh, sports psychology as taboo almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um... You know, it's kind of sort of old. I'd like to say old school thinking, although I still uh, know that it continues to exist today in in, in many areas. Um, you know, it was seen as uh, you know asking for help was a weakness, right. uh, which um, I always have prided myself since day one, working quite hard to help people understand that actually asking for help is really a strength and. Uh, uh, we have all these different resources available to us now, and um, uh, so why not take advantage of them? And it's not necessarily fixing broken people. Uh, it is more about helping people to be at their best. And why wouldn't you want to do anything you can do to help yourself be happier and do better? I just, just kind of uh, was always my... Uh, my stance and so it was uh and and again even to this day it's still a bit countercultural. i mean when i started there was i didn't know anybody who was doing this and at wisconsin we were like i said the only program in the country doing that and now today um there's still i i don't know numbers but up until very recently um yeah, it, I couldn't say most big athletic departments have somebody. Uh, it was seen as a luxury. And uh, uh, when I came to Minnesota, they had no interest in doing that. They just didn't feel like that was something that they needed at the time. Now, and that wasn't necessarily just Minnesota. Right. I also remember conversations uh, uh, with uh, um, uh, the Vikings uh, in the late 80s. Uh, and uh, with Mike Lynn telling me uh, he saw no reason why they should have a strength coach. Uh, they just didn't see that there was a need for that for their football team. And as silly as that sounds today, it right. was kind of a thinking. Then. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, so. uh, the uh, student athlete has made so many demands lately and um, and – in, in a certain area where they've made demands has been better, better nutrition, mm-hmm. better strength and conditioning, yes. and better mental health. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, I think we, um, not only do I think of those things as beneficial, I think it's our responsibility, particularly at the university level, uh, to provide those things because we know that uh, it's a very stressful environment and we're asking a lot of people and it's not like people can't handle it, but why would we only focus on the physical side of somebody's uh, ability to perform? Uh, you know, what about the psychological side? That's just as important and I would contend it's more important. 
Uh, we all know people who've had all the talent in the world and just don't perform up to their potential. And that's typically because of what's going on inside of them right. and helping them learn more about themselves. I think that's our job as educators. That's what we're here to do is to help people learn more and so that they can uh, go out and contribute in the world and uh, make contributions to society. And uh, being around the athletes uh, that I was around for 40 years, knowing and learning that a calm mind is a such a plus to an athlete yeah. who's trying yeah. to, you know, get their task done on the field, be no it question. throw a football to throw a baseball, hit a golf ball, uh, swim faster, no matter what it is, if they can tap into their minds and relax and uh, get a, get the clutter away, um, it just seems that they perform better. Now, I well, have, that's right. Right. You're right on there. That was informative and hopefully helpful. Thank you, Rick. That was Dr. Rick Abelman. And uh, we were dealing with matters of the mind. Well, I wonder what guests will walk through the door next. Here on the best of the JB's Low Tech Podcast number two. After this commercial spot by my best and proudest sponsor, Bradshaw and Bryant. I'd like to thank Mike Bryant for his wavering, non-wavering support. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. And uh, hopefully it continues for years. And if you know of anybody else who would like to bring their business to my business and have it um, spotlighted here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast, just reach out to me on my Facebook page or the for the JB's Low Tech Podcast, and uh, we'll make a connection. Well, as I stated, let's hear from my favorite sponsor, Bradshaw and Bryant. Our summers are so short in Minnesota, it can be easy to forget about important safety measures. And when extreme heat is involved, safety is even more critical. Here are a few things to remember to keep you and your loved ones, including your pets, safe and comfortable. One, remember to not leave your pets and kids in your vehicle. Two, always stay hydrated in hot weather. Three, avoid exercise during the hottest times of the day. Four, stay in air condition as much as possible. Five, when traveling, stay sky aware. Check the forecast, prepare for unsafe driving conditions, thunderstorms, and tornadoes. High temperatures kill hundreds of people every year, but most heat-related deaths and illnesses are preventable. If we all slow down, take some time, check on our loved ones, and enjoy the beautiful season. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. I hope you're never injured in a collision, but if you are, don't sign anything until you've talked to us. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Bradshaw and Bryant.
Yes. More Prince. Here on the best of the JB's Low Tech Podcast number two. And I've been peeling back the curtain a little bit during this episode. The hardest thing is to, when you're a solo uh, person like myself, trying to do a basically a home tech, uh, home low-tech podcast such as myself. Hardest thing is booking guests and keeping them <laughs> booked. And um, unfortunately, this person canceled on me today. I won't mention their name, but it's the second time in my life this person has let me down. So... As my mother, as I stated earlier, my mother always says, always forgive, but never forget. Well, we move on. My next guest on the best of the JB's Low Tech Podcast number two, I'll just let the episode introduce it itself. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast, here in the uh, my man cave in the Green Circle Studios. And today's guest, I said, was a mentor of mine, and I'm and I'm not joking about that. I learned a lot about college sports under this man. But he's also a, um, for me, a lifesaver because, and I don't know if, if he'll remember this moment. We were standing in the tunnel in Madison, Wisconsin. And he looked at me and said, we need this. And um, I said, yes, we do. And we were getting, we were getting our, un, unfortunately, we were getting our tails kicked by Wisconsin in football. But what he was talking about was our own stadium and a full house. And um, we're still working on the full house part over there. But we have our own stadium. And, of course, I'm talking about Joel Maturi. How you doing, Joel? I'm doing well, JB. And so good to reconnect. Uh, I'm glad that you're well and honored to be a part of your podcast. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, you um, you took a chance with me when, you know, after 22 years of being a student and a volunteer and a part-timer and whatnot, you you and your your staff finally found a spot for me over there in a place I coveted. So I always will never forget that and always appreciate that. Well, that's nice of you to say that. You know, I've always been big on loyalty. It's always been important to me. Um, and roots have always been important to me. I, I'm, a, I'm a Minnesotan by, by birth and and, uh, you know, that was the reason I really came back to, to the University of Minnesota after I was very, very happy at Miami University in Ohio. Uh, but uh, it's something that, uh, that I'm honored to, to be a part of and, and uh, lots of good memories, lots of good stories. To start this off, Joel, and as I do with all my podcasts, I ask my guests to kind of, in their words, kind of give an origin story of who they are and how they got started and how things get, uh, became well, as I stated, you know, I'm a small town kid from northern Minnesota, Chisholm, Minnesota. And uh, at that time, um, you know, the mines were doing extremely well. The schools were outstanding. Everybody's uh, in town were, were working. Um, uh, it, it was a great time to be an Iron Ranger and, and uh, fortunate to have good education, uh, good athletic programs. Um, and I always wanted to, to, to be a coach. Uh, it, it was my dream. It was my uh, ambition in high school yearbook was, was to be a coach. Uh, I was fortunate to be a decent athlete. My wife uh, reminds me, Lois reminds me, as you know, that uh, I was a big fish in a little pond and uh, and uh, was fortunate enough to, to try to walk on at the University of Notre Dame. And, and uh, actually, it was a high school injury that prevented me from, from ever participating. But uh, again, you learn lessons along the way. And I've always felt that everything happens for a reason. And part of it is because of that. I uh, uh, Notre Dame changed coaches um, 
after my freshman season. In those days, freshmen couldn't compete in football or actually any sport at the Division One level. And and uh, we were actually two and seven my freshman year. We would have been two and eight, but we didn't play Iowa the last game of the year because uh, President Kennedy was assassinated. Oh. So now you know how long ago that was. <laughs> yes. But, uh, uh, we hired a man by the name of Eric Parsegian, and I, I remember going across campus in February of my freshman year. They hired Era um, at the end of the, uh, you know, that, that season, December or whenever it was. And, and uh, I walked into his office. I said, you don't know me. I'm not on anybody's list. Uh, but I always wanted to coach. Uh, it has been taken away from me from the athletic standpoint. He welcomed me. Um, uh, it allowed me to be a student assistant. I became a student trainer. Uh, in those days, it, it wasn't as uh, organized as things are today. And, right. and I learned a lot more about coaching um, as, non, as a non-athlete than I ever would have as an athlete because I was able to be in, to go into uh, certain uh, um, you know, meetings that I wouldn't have as an athlete. Coaches would say things around me that they wouldn't say around athletes. Yes. And, and, uh, and so I, I, was re- I really benefited from that. Um, I went on to graduate school uh, at the University of Wisconsin, and I went there because my high school girlfriend from Chisholm uh, was at Marquette University. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're very much aware. I, I met another young lady instead, and right. and Lois and, and I have now been married 47 years. <laughs> how how is Lois doing? Yeah, she's doing well. Thank you. She says to say hello yes. uh, also, and, and uh, you know, it, it's been a good run. But uh, I, I coached uh, in um, – in Wisconsin uh, for 20 years, one year in Wausau, Wisconsin, and 19 years in Madison. I coached football, basketball, baseball, track and field at one time or another. Um, loved it. Never thought I would leave coaching. Uh, interestingly enough, um, 19 of those years in, in Madison uh, became, obviously knew all the coaches, knew the administrators. Madison isn't that big a city. I worked the camps of the football coaches, the basketball coaches. I, you know, So I knew everybody. And, and um, people... Uh, uh, you know, Wisconsin was in trouble in those days. People don't realize that. Yes. Wisconsin was not winning in football. They were not winning in basketball. They were in financial challenge to, uh, as far as uh, all their sports, really. Uh, and um, I was asked if I wanted to be uh, an assistant athletic director at the University of Wisconsin. Here I was, a high school coach and AD at that time, and and uh, n- would never happen today. Move from high school onto Division One like that, and and uh, I, I decided to look into it. I, I didn't have to move much. My high school was six blocks down the street from okay. <laughs> Stadium, where the where the Badger Athletic Administration was housed as well. And I ended up getting the job. I uh, was fortunate to be there at the right time. It goes back to your statement a little bit about what we needed. Uh, you know, Wisconsin was not drawing when I got there. They were not winning. Uh, but uh, Donna Shalala became the, the chancellor. Um, uh, she hired Pat Richter as the athletic director. Pat Richter hired Barry Alvarez as football coach right. uh, and people like Dick Bennett and Bo Ryan as basketball coaches. And all of a sudden, you know, their, their program ju- just took off and, and Camp Randall came from not having many people in it and, 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 and being a struggling program to being filled as well as their field house and now the Cole Center. Uh, and uh, I, I was fortunate to be there during much of that transition. Uh, and, and I like to think I learned from that experience. Um, Tried to bring that with me when I eventually came to to Minnesota, but after Wisconsin, I became my first athletic director job. But JB was was the University of Denver. Tell you another quick little story, another <laughs> thing in my life. I was only there two years. Never expected uh, to leave uh, after two, but 
Uh, I was told that I, ha- I had to uh, fire the men's basketball coach when I first got there. Um, they were a Division II school except for uh, their men's hockey program and the women's gymnastics program, and so which was allowed. But right. we were transitioning to Division One. That's why they hired me to transition them to Division One for all their sports, find them a conference, do things of this nature. But the chancellor, who was, who was a good person, um, but uh, said I had to fire the coach. He was not a Division One basketball coach. Obviously, he's my boss. I did what I had to do. He asked me what um, I asked him what process I needed to do. In those days, you had to put committees together and had a committee of mm-hmm. uh, former athletes, a committee of donors, you know, people on the faculty and administrative staffs. Obviously, we met with the current players and all these different uh, groups of people. I brought in four different candidates, somebody that I knew that I wanted to hire. Uh, I hired and uh, brought in an assistant coach from Colorado, an assistant coach from uh, Stanford, uh, and a uh, head coach from a smaller school in uh, in Texas. And the person that I kind of wanted to hire, but but obviously I had to go through the process. Fortunately for me, um, each of the different groups really liked the person that I did as well, uh, without me sharing all that during the process. Uh, we agreed that uh, I was going to hire him. I told him I couldn't pay as much as the hockey coach at this time because hockey had been Division One. but we would work through this. I had to go through the pr- process with the chancellor, and he flew back to, to his locality, and, and um, I went to the chancellor who had met all the candidates but didn't share anything with me, and I told him uh, who the unanimous choice was of, of all our subcommittee groups, and, and he said, Joel, you can't hire him. And I said, Chancellor, what's the reason I can't hire him? He said, well, you didn't understand. I made you fire a Division II coach. You can't hire a Division III coach. <laughs> well, the, guy, the guy that I wanted to hire was a guy by the name of Bo Ryan, who oh. uh, at that time was at the University of Wisconsin-Platteville, which mm-hmm. was a free school, and uh, he would not let me hire him. Um, obviously, Bo went on to have one heck right. of a at Wisconsin, and I don't know what would have happened had he gone to Ed Denver. I'm convinced their basketball program would have been better, but uh, who knows from the future. And then what happened about six months later, um, the women's gymnastics athletes all came to me, uh, uh, and they were the Division One program. They're all in tears. Many of them had an eating disorder and, and other issues. Um, and they told me about the uh, gymnastics coach, who, again, had been very successful. Uh, he had been there 17 years, and he had been a head coach at other places before that. It was a man, a male coaching coaching the women, not uncommon. Um, and he uh, he was body he was weighing the young ladies himself every day. He was body fat testing them once a week. Uh, and according to the young women, he was saying things like. Uh, your ass is sticking out of your leotards and you got to get in shape and things of this nature. So I brought him into my office. You know, I'm, I'm ending my first year right. as a, the athletic director. And, and uh, I, I say to him, I, I said, Dan, his name was Dan Garcia. And I said, I said, coach, I said, you've been coaching many years. You've had a lot of success. And I, I know you don't mean harm, but you, you can't not do what you're doing to these young women, you know, in, in today's world. And this is, you know, you're talking about now back in, 1998, 1999, um, or 97 or so, right, in that era. And so I said to him, uh, I, I said, you know what, we're going to Division One. You, our, our sports medicine staff will do any weighing of the young women. They'll do any body fat testing, all those kinds of things. Um, our strength coach will condition the, you know, the young women 
in the manner that you wish them to do and, and things of this nature. But, but you know, times have changed. You, you, you just, and you can't talk to the young ladies in the manner that, that you've done that. So I'm, that's kind of what I did in, in my office. And he, he's across the desk from me, and he says, you know, he says, you're my fifth athletic director. I can hardly wait to get my sixth. That's how he responded to me. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I went to the chancellor, and I said, chancellor, I said, he does not fit the profile of what I think the University of Denver coaches should be. Mm-hmm. I, I would like to replace him next year, you know, after this season. And he says, you can't fire him. He's the best coach we have. So I said to the chancellor, I said, you know, I'm only one year into this thing. I said, but I do think athletic directors need to hire and, and dismiss the people that they, you know, that they feel for their staff. I said, I had three kids in college at the time. I said, right. I can't afford the chancellor, but, but it, you know, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm, I'm the look, you know, the, the, this doesn't seem to be the right fit for me. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, a year later, or actually about six months later, um, we were hosting Miami university in a, uh, uh, hockey tournament uh, at our uh, uh, facility and um, the the uh, hockey coach there who I knew who at one time was at Minnesota maybe you knew Mark Mazzolini Mark was a hockey coach uh, assistant coach uh, here at Minnesota at one time and then he was the head coach at Miami University and um, he said you know we're looking for a new AD would you be interested and I said I would certainly be interested and uh, make a long story short, I, I got the job. And I remember coming back after the interview and being offered the job. And I went into the chancellor's office and told him that I was going to be leaving, you know, in June. And um, he said to me, uh, would you please stay? He said, I'll double your salary. Will you please stay? And, uh, you know, the coaches like you. Things are going well. And I was flattered, you know, by his comments. I said, Chancellor, it's never been about money. Uh, you know, it, it's it's just you know it just doesn't seem to be the right fit for me. And so he says to me, he says, "Will you do me one favor before you leave?" And I said, well, "Chancellor, what is it?" He says, well, "Will you fire the gymnastics coach? <laughs> uh, the young women had all gone to him. Of course, I told them that I couldn't do anything about it, and uh, he they obviously did a better job of convincing him than I did. And and so my last day on the job at Miami and at uh, at uh, Denver was. Uh, was to dismiss that uh, that gymnastics coach. From there, I went to Miami, and JB was a great fit for me. I, uh, I think the smartest thing I've ever said in college athletics is they didn't have enough money to do it wrong. Yeah. And uh, and and it, it's a situation where they are Division One. They've had success at the mid-major level. Uh, when I was there, they had a lot of success. Nothing to do with me, but they had a guy by the name of Wally Zerbiak who was on their basketball team, and of course he played for the Timberwolves for many years. And mm-hmm. and they had a guy at quarterback uh, by the name of Ben Roethlisberger. Yes. who's still playing in the pro so so obviously they were they're pretty good in those sports and pretty good in their other sports as well and um and yet you know they bust every place the salaries were not out, out of you know out of whack and and uh you know it was just it was just a good fit for me i, I enjoyed it i never thought i'd leave um but uh in fact i will tell you this most people don't know this uh, after the and i know i know many people don't like the words but after the academic scandal or issues with men's basketball in the late uh, uh, Indies there, um, I got a call from uh, Tanya Moton Brown, who was the uh, assistant or chief of staff to President Udoff, asking me if I would like to be a candidate to be the men's athletic director at the University of Minnesota, uh, because, of course, at that time there were still two departments. And, uh, And I say sadly, because I have a world of respect for, for Mark Dienhart, but Mark was let go, uh, as with some other people, and, um, and they were looking for, for a, a, a men's athletic director, and, 
And uh, I said, I'm flattered by this, but um, I don't want to be an athletic director of half a department. It's not who I am. Uh, and I said to, to her, um, never thinking anything would change, I said, if you ever became one department, I might be interested. Uh, it's kind of what I said. I never thinking that they ever would merge. You didn't know that would happen. But as you're very much aware, two years later, uh, the Board of Regents, I think partly because of finances and other reasons, uh, decided it was in the best interest of the University of Minnesota to merge the men's and women's department. Um, both uh, Chris Boltz, who was the women's AD, and at that time Tom Moe, who was the men's AD, were, were going to be uh, ending their tenure at the end of uh, 2002. And... Um, they were going to hire a, a, a director to oversee the men's and women's athletics department. And I was fortunate to put my hat in the ring, uh, to be offered the position and, uh, began uh, the tenure in the, um, in the summer of, of 2002 and, and had a good 10 year run. And, uh, and I think, uh, and you were there JB, so you mm-hmm. know, as well, anybody. there was a lot of hesitation, a lot of concerns by men and women as to the merger. Um, I think one of the greatest compliments of all time is that people today don't even remember that we were we were separated. You know, right. I think it, it went so well that that uh, and I think it went well because the kids embraced it, especially the young athletes. I think the women and the men both enjoyed going to the same training room. I think they enjoyed going to the same workout room. They enjoyed going to see you to to get their equipment. They enjoyed all those kinds of things uh, because that's, that's, that was natural to them. And, uh, because they accepted it, coaches started accepting it and then boosters and fans and, and our donors as well. And, and, uh, uh, I, I think, you know, certainly we had some bumps in the road, but I think for the most part, it went extremely well. And, and, um, and look at the, the way the, the department is, is flourishing today under Mark and, and, and others. And, and, uh, certainly is, is a tribute to the people that, uh, that, uh, began that back, uh, now almost 20 years ago. Yeah. That was Joel Maturi here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast, best of number two, or as I'm dubbing it, the meltdown, because I'm still upset about the person blowing me off who was supposed to be today's guest, which is forcing me to put together a best of. Yes, I will forgive, but I'll never forget. Let's continue on and find out who's our last person to step in the door for today's best of number two of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Yes, the Prince theme continues. Delirious by Prince. Well, that's kind of also the mode of the show today. I've been kind of delirious because I've been melting down because some. It was not supposed to be a best of podcast today. 
for um, 9-11, the 20th anniversary of 9-11. It was supposed to have been a live guest who blew me off, basically, and let me down again for the second time in my life in, in, the, in our connection. Well, let's just continue by saying, as I was stating earlier, today's the 20th anniversary of 9-11. We've all taken a moment, probably in our own private time or watching a football game or something, and uh, remember the horror that we lived through that day. I just remember... I was a traffic reporter for KQRS and also working at Galleon Sporting Goods. And I was driving home, uh, not driving home, driving to, from doing the traffic at KQ, which was at home, to uh, Galleon Sporting Goods and listening to the recounts of what was going on over the air. And then watching on the big screen at Galleons as we never opened up that day. And we just all huddled. The staff just huddled and watched the horror being replayed over and over again on the big screen TV in the fitness center. But it does remind me of something that is not going on right now, which is when that happened, this country, we're not Democrats, we were not Republicans, we weren't independents, we were all Americans. And we were there to help each other, pull each other through the terror that we witnessed, pull each other through the, the heartbreak that we felt. I'll never forget going to go for football practices and just the eerie feeling that I felt because you would be outside and you would, you would be used to airplanes flying overhead. And for a week or two, there was no air traffic at all. And you would just look up in the air and you'd be like, when are those going to start again? Because you knew once the plane started up again, we would start to rebound and become, and I hate this term, but I can't think of any other term, we would become normal, we would become whole, we would become better. Somehow if we could just take the emotions of the post 9-11 attacks and bottle, bottle those up and put those in, and inject those into people's system. Maybe we'd get through this pandemic a hell of a lot quicker than we're doing right now. Well, I am really, <laughs> really melting down today, people. I'm like to apologize, but it's been kind of fun also. And speaking of fun, and I'm going to finish today's best of number two of the JB's Low Tech Podcast with somebody that always brings a smile to my face and my heart and especially my stomach.
And you'll find out in a second here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB Low Tech Podcast. And today's guest is Pat Montague of J.D. Hoyt's Restaurant, downtown Minneapolis. I thought Pat would be a good guest to talk about these times that we're going through with restaurants doing COVID and also kind of go back over our friendship, which is pretty close to 30 years now. And uh, (laughs) I know it's been a a while. (laughs) And um, go over some other things. So. How's it going, Pat? Going great. Thanks for uh, adding me to your podcast. It's awesome, JB. Thank you. No, the pleasure is all mine, just like the food I ate last night. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, as I told Pat yesterday, um, it was my, um, you know, you normally give up something for Lent, and I decided to buy into something for Lent this year, and that was to go to Hoyt's every Friday because I – had two favorite restaurants in town, and I lost one of them because of COVID. So I didn't want to lose another. So wanted to and do. We do and we do really appreciate the support, JB. You know that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I normally ask that my guests, how did you get started in the restaurant business, or you know, what made you turn that way or look towards that. Sure. Uh, you know, I was 13 years old. My mom was a food and beverage director of a Holiday Inn back in the day, and uh, she called me in to do dishes on a Saturday morning, and that was my introduction into the uh, the world of uh, restaurants. I was a uh, pot and pan washer for the day, and uh, and I was devastated <laughs> and for forever changed from that moment on. Well, <laughs> but i turned out uh, i got hired at jd hoyts i was working at a little breakfast place called eggies and uh, we went on an outdoor baseball trip with uh, a buddy of mine uh, michael pantaleo better known as pinto yes and his brother is junior of course who's still a barman you know he's he's been with me for 15 20 years but uh, pinto asked me to go on an outdoor baseball trip back when uh, uh there was a group trying to save the old met Okay. And uh, these guys uh, were all fanatics about out- outdoor baseball, and it was right before they were opening up the Metrodome, uh, long before that. So right. we, uh, yeah, we went down and saw a Madison Muskie game and uh, Quad City Cubs, and then we went down and saw a uh, Cubby game with Philly, and then went up to County and saw the Brewers and Twins, and stayed for a doubleheader on Sunday, and came home, and they said, "Hey, you got to come work for us," and I didn't have any idea what they were doing, and they had. Uh, my partners originally started a place called Ichabod's and moved to Sergeant Preston's and then opened up the Loom Cafe and then eventually went to a little more finer dining place than uh, sports bars. And they opened up J.D. Hoyt's. And so they hired me as a prep cook a week before we opened up in 1984. And uh, I was head chef after about a year or so and then uh, kind of, you know, fell into it. And I just absolutely love it. Uh, you know, it's been one of those uh careers for me that uh has been a challenge every single day and uh, and now during COVID, it's the biggest challenge we've ever uh, we've ever faced so it's a it's been a great run for 35 and a half years or so somewhere in there so it's been awesome <laughs> well you seem to love it and um and people love coming there i mean you have dignitaries that come in town i remember when uh, the buzz was when the uh during the Clinton administration, Janet Reno would blow in town to come there and have dinner. 
Absolutely. One of the highest uh, political uh, people we've ever had at Judy Hoyts. And, uh, of course, she was covered with security and uh, sat with FBI agents. And it was uh, it was really an interesting but uh, uh, wonderful uh, moment for us at J.D. Hoyts because we get, you know, we get actors, we get musicians, we get sports guys all the time, which is awesome because they absolutely love our food and they go out to eat a lot, you know, with a lot of expendable uh, right. uh, cash. So it's great to see politicians come in. And we had, you know, the vice president, uh, Walter Mond- Mondale's eaten many times at Hoyts. So, uh, in fact, uh, I don't know how long ago it was, a couple of years now, they had the back room, the whole Mondale family had the back room wow. for dinner one night, which okay. is great. So, yeah, that's been a lot of fun, too. Yeah. Um, yeah you. I would hear the stories about uh, certain NBA teams catering their plane from there or coming in, you know, <clears throat> with my background in uh, college sports, watching and hearing uh, visiting teams come in town and their equipment managers or coaching staff, you know, their designation was always is and still J.D. Hoyts. So you guys must well, be doing something right. You guys were very instrumental in that, J.B., you and Todd and the rest of the crew and Dick Matz and uh, God rest them. I mean, uh, you guys were very uh, – you guys loved our food, and we loved you guys. I mean, I'm always a, an underdog, and I get that the guys that worked at the University of Minnesota, you know, the coaches are all great, and we've had everybody from uh, Lou Holtz to John Gutekust all the way through, Jerry Kill. Right. Uh, Coach Mason was a great big friend of ours. I mean, Fleck now with his guys. I mean, it's just been a great uh, relationship with football, basketball, men's and women's sports right and of course uh you guys being in the back of the house uh we love you guys you know i mean you right. guys never get the accolades that you need to keep it all together you're the glue that keeps everything rolling over there and it's kind of funny how uh, a lot of times the the spotlight goes to the players or the coaches and never the guys that have been holding it together for years and years going on so. well and believe me that's the way we like it we we we're <laughs> the first ones in so nobody see us and we're the last ones out so nobody sees us again. They, they might, they might see us during the event if we're, you know, we lose our mind and do something crazy like Maddie would do, but um, like wander out on the field after a touchdown oh, yeah. and get threatened by, an, <clears throat> threatened by an official. But anyway, that's, that's our guy. Yeah, the closest I ever came to that pet was, um, um. A softball game and I said I uh, said something and the first base umpire thought I was talking to her and I was like whoa no 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 was I wasn't talking to you <laughs> not to you <laughs> talking to my own player just <laughs> because if in uh, college sports if a member a non coaching member of the staff gets tossed the head coach gets tossed too so i was oh like, my gosh no, i didn't I know like, that oh yeah so i was like oh no you, <laughs> this ain't going to be my blaze of glory so, <laughs> yeah. so she she nodded and calmed down and i was like yeah. speaking of blaze of glory this best of has been my blaze of glory hope you enjoyed the meltdown again this was not scheduled to be a best of, but is the JB's Low Tech Podcast uh, best of number two. I hope you enjoyed hearing uh, some people that I had on in the past. And it also enjoyed me having a meltdown over the whole experience. It's all I could think of. <laughs> it's all I could do. Again, uh, I do 
hope that we can come together as a country as we did 20 years ago over the 9-11 attacks. And um, next weekend, I hope to be back with the guests and um, running as normal. Until then, have a good weekend and have a good week. And continue to listen to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. The Black Avenger. Godfrey Cambridge is Gravedigger Jones. Raymond St. Jock is Coffinhead Johnson. Look out for a brother, man. What you gonna play now? Is the girl crazy? I sure am hungry. Black is black. And you're black. Was as big as Muhammad Ali. Black is beautiful. I know. I'm black, y'all, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm black, 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 black